What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Soul Back Podcast. Uh, Tom from You Know I Got Soul here. Ed from Soul and Stereo. What Ed, up? where's Kyle right now? <laughs> I told you, you thought I was playing last week, player. After his random outburst, that dude is at the curb. We kicked him out. No more Kyle. He's done. He's done here. I got to be honest. I don't even know what I'm doing here, hosting this thing, man. That's Kyle's job. And uh, we're going to get Barry Bars to do it next time if Kyle's not available. Oh, goodness. Like I think that having Kyle away and bringing in Barry was wishful thinking. But while Kyle is on his little hiatus, I think the two of us can hold it down. You not knowing what you're doing, that's pretty much usual around here. But I think we'll Oh, my be- goodness. If we don't break out in a fight before this thing is over, I think we'll make it through, but that's question. <laughs> but they don't, we don't have Kyle here to, like, calm things down. So who knows what's going to happen on this episode? All right, all right. Let's focus. Let's focus. So we got a special guest coming up later in the show. But until then, we want to talk about all that's going on in the R&B world right now, which is not too much. But we've had some good, good music coming out the past couple of weeks, especially Jesse J's album. I know you really like that one. I really like that one. Now, if we ha- if you're not familiar with the rollout for this album, it's called Rose, R-O-S-E, and it's essentially a collection of EPs. So she had four EPs um, kind of spread out over a week, and they compile into one album. And the four EPs each consist of four tracks. And, man, it's really solid overall. I think my favorite of the EPs, see, i got to think back on it. It might have been the... O-E-P. They all have names like, I think it was, what was R? One was like Realizations, and O, I believe, was Obsessions, and S was Sex, and E was Empowerment. But I think O was my favorite. All of them combine into one piece of work, and it's really strong, and a lot of that can really be credited to our boy, produced by DJ Camper. That's our boy. But the question has to be asked, Ed. Jessie J, that's a pop artist, isn't it? It's a pop. She's a pop artist. We know her for that annoying Bang Bang song. Oh, they slay that song to death when it hit in Birmingham. I used to go to the spin class, and they would play that thing in that spin class like every week. And I was like, enough. I love you, Jessie, but chill with the Bang Bang. But beyond that, her voice is just very suited for R&B. It's tailor-made for R&B. So when she decided to get with DJ Camber and then just release these more soulful tracks, it works very, very well. So even though she's not a traditionally known R&B artist, her style, vibe, and content missed right in. So you would not have been able to tell that this project was nothing from the artists that we often love and talk about here on this site. If you're a fan of R&B, I definitely suggest checking it out. It's one of the better R&B albums of the year. It might be the best R&B album of the year at the moment. Ed, I hate to take it there this early in the podcast, but how is an artist like a Jesse J free to explore an R&B sound, a more traditional sound, when most of the R&B artists we, we grew to love are feeling like they have to go a more of a trendier sound? Like, how is this working like that? Well, it's frustrating, and we've talked about this many, many, many times. And I have been very vocal in telling fans to chill out with kind of thrusting their frustrations with R&Bs and, and business on these artists when they're just trying to create good music. I think that a lot of the artists that we love and respect have been having a hard time finding audiences and 
finding and adjusting to trends, and that's why we see so many of them drifting toward more hip-hop sounds, which don't suit them at all. So I think in their end, they're really struggling to find themselves, where we have another set of artists who are just kind of picking up the slack. They're like, okay, here's a, a lane that's open. I can do it too. And I don't bemoan anyone if they can do it well. If you were coming into our backyard and you messing up and muddying up my front porch, you're garbage. But if you come in and you're going to respect my house, and you respect the art and craft that we love, I ain't mad. I wish some of our veterans would get that respect and that ability to do what they love and do. Some of them are doing it. Some of them aren't even trying to do it. But for what it's worth, I'm here for the music. So whoever gives me the best music, we cool. I didn't mean to make that a segue into our next topic, but Neo's got an album coming out. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) You know, he's someone who's kind of dabbled in different sounds, but the new album, Good Man's coming out. It follows up nonfiction, which actually, um, I like the album. I thought it was, you know, a little different and uh, a little bit, you know, he explored some different sounds, but the new album, Good Man, I know you've heard it. We got an advanced copy. What did you think of that one? Yes, Leia. Now, like I said before, um, on a few weeks ago, I was, and I talk about this in my review for the album, which will be posting this Friday. But um, I talk on so on um, Twitter with a fan who was kind of like, once one of the singles dropped from this album, this fan was very excited. He was like, "Oh man, we're getting the classic neo. We're not getting the pop stuff anymore. No more Pitbull songs." And y'all know me, your boy was like, "This song is good, but I'm gonna reserve opinions until the actual album drops." So Neo himself humps into the convo and it's like man give me a break y'all gonna like what you want to what you're gonna hear and he lived up to it like it's not one edm track on this thing it is almost 100 percent classic neo um you will talk about it a little bit more in my actual review i don't want to spoil too much of it but there are lots of songs that throw back to his heyday but many of the songs actually take his kind of vintage, not vintage, but his classic sound, and meshes it with the more current sound. So you hear a Neo that you're familiar with kind of doing some stuff that's a little bit more trendy, but not straight up doing, he's not straight up trapping over the thing. So don't worry about that. But it is the the Neo you like sounding a little bit more 2018 and not so much 2006. It's a really solid project. Not my favorite of the year. We'll go into why a bit later on. But I think it's a very, very solid one. And if you're a Neo fan, you'll find a lot to love. I feel like, you know, we've talked about this time and time again, but it's tough for artists like Neo to know which direction to go in because he's someone who had so much success early on in R&B, crossing over to pop, and then trying to come back to R&B hasn't been as smooth of a transition. Not his fault. But mostly because the genre has kind of is not where it was when he started. So oh, yeah, it's hard for everybody. It's hard, but do you agree with the direction? Like, did he make the right decision on this album? Like, where is he supposed to even go? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Well, I think overall, and I know this probably isn't popular financially. If you look at his career, he probably made the right decisions because I talked about this in my review. A lot of people are hard on Neo because we kind of positioned him as not necessarily our savior because things weren't so dire back then, but we kind of positioned him as like R&B's new leader. 
Usher was kind of coming off of his gigantic run, and we were looking for the next dude who was going to take R&B into the 2010s and the next decade, and Neo was that guy. So when he decided to take that sharp left turn and do a lot more pop, we were kind of like, huh? And then his decision, I'm not saying that he caused this, but his decision to go left also coincide with R&B's slow decline, also kind of coincide with hip-hop rising, kind of coincide with pop blowing up and a lot of people doing pop stuff. So that's why you get this whole, oh, Neo left us behind thing. He just made a business decision that was timing-wise, kind of just led the way for some other things. Financially, it was the right move. As far as kind of critically, uh, I love the original Neo. I love the 2006 Neo. I love the Because of You Neo and In My Own Words Neo. And I even like the Red album that a lot of people didn't like because it was so poppy. So I don't ever bemoan an artist for trying new things. But creatively, it does hurt me because in these later years where we really, really needed a strong R&B artist, he really wasn't there. So I feel like he's trying to get back in that space now. The problem is, though, the land fits, the landscape is so shaky, it's hard for him to find some good footing. And it's hard to find an audience. Right. It's interesting, man. I, it's kind of like I always tell Kyle, that magical number of age. And you know Dio's getting up there in age. You know how old he is? Um, He has to be almost mid-30s. He's over 30, right? It's actually funny because his Wikipedia page actually shows a younger age than he actually is. I just I just looked that up real quick. He's actually 38. His Wikipedia page says he's 35. I don't know why that would be. Really? But, you know, so younger, younger wow. is always cool. And mute. But, yeah, he's 38. And it's, I always felt like it's tough for, for artists that age to really remain, quote, unquote, relevant in the mainstream. But, like, he could dominate Urban AC if he wanted to, just like he did with Good Band. But, for what I mean, he's got, it's tough for him, though. Like I keep saying, he's yeah, dabbling pop and... Yeah. Look at so, um I, I love the interview we had with Rico Love a few weeks ago where he talked yeah. about how frustrating it is for older artists. My generation, we with Bobby Brown came back, we were like, Oh, Bobby's back. Oh, we on board. But this generation, I mean if Usher comes back, it's all oh, get that old man out of here. Usher is like maybe a year he's not forty. He might be a year older than me or maybe my age. He's thirty eight, thirty nine, something like that. And we act like he's 74 out here. Like, geez, we just, R&B and hip-hop do a, such a horrible job of uplifting its veterans. Once you hit 30, we just want to throw you in the trash, and that's unfair. <laughs> so poor Neo exactly. is considered by the world to be a young man, but in the world of R&B and hip-hop, he's an old head, and that's kind of unfair. So we've been talking about 2018 R&B, and... Uh... Kyle, what do you think about the year so far? Oh, wait, Ed, I almost forgot. He's not here with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he asks that, it will have something to do with Ashanti, so I would rather be no, no. silent than that. We, <laughs> Ed, settle down. We're, we're early in this podcast. You're acting up already. You know what to expect, but, player. This ain't new. But we were talking off the air, and it's been a tough year for R&B. Man. I mean, we haven't really had many great R&B projects this year yet or even good at that matter. And it, every year yeah, you do you do a mid-year top 10 every year, 
you know, R&B, best albums you've heard so far. I heard you're having a tough time this year coming up with a list. Playa, it's we are at at the at at this recording. We are in the first week of June. I could not tell you ten R and B albums that I would include on that list unless I started putting stuff that y'all ain't got no business hearing. It's been that really. It struggles. I struggle to come up with five. We've got Tony Braxton. We've got Jesse J. Um, Chloe and Halle, Beyonce's proteges. That one was pretty decent. I mean, then you start going into stuff like the Shantae Moore EP, the Neo album. Janelle Monet might be my album of the year, but that's not really R&B. That's more of 80s pop. And that might be, and Maya maybe, you could throw her in there. Like, I could barely come up with 10 strong albums for the year for R&B. I'm sure somebody will yell at me in the comments because I forgot something. But... We are at a point where we just not only seeing not too many super strong releases, but not any releases at all. Like there was very yeah. few R&B releases this year. There probably been what ten or so. Yeah, I mean that's all I was just gonna say. I mean your top ten of the year might be the only ten albums that came out, and that's really <laughs> really sad if you think about. It. I mean we want music. We're R&B lovers. We want music, Ed. I want, and it wasn't too long ago where it was two or three years ago where I was reviewing like three and four albums in one day. I remember a few years back there was a release and it was like an Ariana Grande album and like a um, Tamar Braxton album. There were like four albums that came out one Friday. This is, or it might have been Tuesday. I don't, this might have been before the date changed. But there was a time where like four high profile releases dropped on the same day. We would never get that amount of content and quality in one time. That would be spread out over eight months. Right. I mean, it's it's a tough time. Artists, like we were talking that once again offline, artists like a John B. who hasn't released much in a while, artists like a Daniel Jones who hasn't released much in a while, are these artists going to come back? I mean, they're, they're steadily doing shows across the world, you know, making their money, but Man, they see these album numbers, these sales. They're probably thinking, why should I even bother? No one's buying the music. I mean, is that what we've come to in R&B? True, but what also frustrates me about that is as a fan, I was, I really want y'all now, if you, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because if you're listening to this podcast, it probably does not speak to you. But there's still so many people who follow soulandstereo.com, who follow you know, I got soul.com, and will say, John B. hasn't done anything since Cool Relax. Well, what? He's had plenty of stuff since then. Or Donnell Jones. I haven't seen anything since 2003. He's had stuff since then. Not much, but he's done some stuff. There are artists out here that we kind of say, oh, I haven't heard from them in forever, like a Joe who drops an album every other year and is constantly touring. You know my man Keith stays on that tour. He hasn't sat down since 1994. So a lot of artists out here doing work, but the frustrating part, again, goes on to fans because they have to realize that if you want these artists to eat, you're the one that's supposed to be filling their plates. They can't do it by themselves. If you like an artist, go to a show, buy their stuff, stay up on their latest, and you can do that by checking out this podcast, both our sites, and you can find out what your faves are doing. But when you tune out, you can't say, oh, there's no R&B out there for me, but you aren't really doing it. I know it's, some people don't, they think it's too much to put into work, but 
This ain't 1993. Don and Simpson not going to come on TV. We ain't got freaking AJ to come on TV to tell us what yeah. to listen to. If you want something hot, you got to be paying attention and go ahead and do the work yourself. All right, Ed, so let me let me quiz you on the spot right now. You ready for this? Do it. Luke James, when did his debut album come out? What year? Oh, man. I was writing for you guys. So, like, 2013 or 14? Yeah, you got it. 2014. I'm oh, only yeah, asking I'm because... <laughs> I'm asking because it seems like we haven't heard from him in decades, but he just released an album a few years ago, and he's back with his new single. So, I mean, he's killing it, though, acting. So I feel like he's someone yeah. people would, would look at and say, oh, he has, he's not doing anything. But he has a new and single he, out, These Arms. Yeah. Have you heard the single? By out? the way, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I've heard the single. I remember about a year or so ago, I did a piece ranking the best male R&B vocalists, and a lot of people whining that I didn't put this person or that person number one. Luke was my number one. You want to know why he's number one? Go listen to that song and tell me who is singing with that power and that range. And, oh, he's killing it. One of the best yep. vocalists in the game. And it is kind of selfishly as an R&B fan, kind of see, I'm glad he has his success in the star role that he has um, doing his thing for Fox, but I want some more music. I don't think he hasn't beat his Whispers in the Dark mixtape, because good Lord, mm. that was fire. But yeah. I hope that his next project, if we ever get it, can be as solid as that or that single, because I thought it was fantastic. Absolutely. But, like, he's someone we anointed kind of a savior of R&B years ago, kind of when R&B back in like 2011, 2012 was on the ropes of like which direction it was going. It was kind of just not getting recognition. I mean, do you consider him a disappointment? Like what do you, how do you look at his career, how it's played out? I see, I can't, I know some people who do label him a disappointment. I feel like it's too early. He came out with a lot of potential. He dropped that album, which I have gone on record with saying I like the album. It wasn't the sound that people expected. So I think that's why they were turned off by it. But I don't think it was a bad album. It was just a little unexpected. But then he just kind of went, I'm not sure where the promo went for that album. That kind of dissipated. And he was on tour with Beyonce. And then he started acting. So it seems like his attention has been split. So I think that there's a lot of unfulfilled potential. But I wouldn't say there's disappointment. Now, if he drops another album and it's terrible, then I'm like, okay, because he is coming off of some very high-profile roles. But I think there's still plenty of opportunity for him to make a huge mark in the genre. Fair enough. Now, Ed, speaking of R&B, I got this email in my inbox today. I want you to react to it. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. I wish Kyle was here for this, man. This is amazing. All right, the, the subject of the email was, Eric Bellinger is the new king of R&B. Your reaction? Eric Eric Bellinger is the... Oh, Lord, I'm, a, I'm trying to behave. Look, I'm, Ed. I'm, trying, I'm trying to behave because I know... Shout out to Eric Bellinger because there ain't no beef. No beef with Eric Bellinger here. I'm trying to find out who gave his grandma your email address so he could send that Eric Bellinger is the king of R&B to your inbox. Somebody please give me answers. That's all you have to say about that? 
I have a lot to say, but I'm trying to behave. <laughs> Right, I mean, Kyle, <laughs> dude, he brought John B. out on stage at his show last night, man. I mean, that's yeah. got to count for something. That's got to well, count that, for something. That counts for something. But can anybody on this podcast name three Eric Bellinger tracks? My case has been rested. <laughs> Hold on. I'm waiting for Kyle to go first. Hold on. You're going to be waiting a long time because <laughs> his answer not, is going to be all baby and listen, foolish and foolish, unfoolish remakes. Listen, Ed, I'm not trying to diss Eric Bellinger, but I feel like well, that's where we're at in R&B these days. You've got to put a catchy headline like that in an email to even get someone to open it. Like, I get so many emails from artists and from publicists and from whoever the heck is out there trying to record music, and I see this, I'm like, what? Let me open this email and read it. What's going on here? You know, but it, oh, it's not a good time. It's, it's a rough time because we got to resort to a lot of tricks and a lot of stuff. And look, I work in marketing. I understand that you got to be catchy. You got to do stuff in your headline to make people open it. I've done the marketing thing before. I've been on the other side of that where marketers are sending me stuff to get stuff to open it. And I am more willing to open it when I see something ridiculous. I like Eric Bellinger. I think that he is a great songwriter. But y'all calling this brother the King R&B, please chill. <laughs> That's where we're at nowadays, Ed. Well, this is where we so, have to find somewhere else for me to be. <laughs> so before we bring our guests on the phone, um, you know, it's Mila from 702, as we mentioned. So, Ed, what's your favorite 702 song? Oh, man. Oh, it might have to be Get It Together. I have a real big affinity for 702, man. and I'll tell you why. <laughs> that album, I'm going to show my age real quick. I already said my age earlier, so y'all know that I'm old as Neo, us old folks from the old folks. <laughs> but 702's album dropped for me. It was kind of like junior year going into senior year of high school. So it was kind of that taste of freedom. I had my car. I was about to graduate. And that album, Mary J. Share My World, Red Man's Muddy Waters, later on, Missy's debut and um, Biggie's final album, those albums were like in, lived in my car. And they were just such a big part of those formative years. So I, when I think about like my favorite time in high school, I think about that 702 No Doubt album because that album really rolled with me as I was a maturing adult. So 702 always has a place in your boy's heart. But Get It Together is one of my favorite joints. Me and Kyle were just talking about Get It Together and finding that Dino Jones demo of the song, if it's out there, because you guys know he wrote the song. Yes. And I don't think it exists, at least publicly, but I'm sure deep down somewhere in his studio he's got a version, which I'd love to hear, maybe someday. Well, he hasn't done anything but, since 2003, so he might as well give us that. Yeah, you know, you know him and John I think, I think those two artists retired, John B. and Donald Jones, right? They're gone? They gave up? Yeah, John B. retired right after Cool Relax. He did the song with Tupac <laughs> and said, I am hanging up my coat. Can we stay on track, please? No, that's fair. I think we're doing good for the two of us to stay on track now. We have not once yelled about... Nintendo Switch, we haven't done any <laughs> brawling. I think we're on track. 
Listen, before we talk about, before we bring Mila on the phone, 702, man, I still love you. One of the best Neptunes beats ever. Easily. Easily one of the best Neptunes beats ever. Probably one of those, when we talk about best songs to never get a video, to deserve the video, that is near my top five. As I think about it, though, I don't even know why they broke up, because I I thought that last album was a solid album. They had the star single, Eclipse, and I was like, all right, this is something here. And then come to find out they broke up after that. So I guess we'll get the scoop on that from Mila, but, man, there was something there in that last album. That's one thing I'd like to ask, although the only thing I really remember about the video for Star was, I think it was Mila. Somebody was sitting in a shopping cart. Mm. I don't remember what my – I am picturing one of the three sitting in the shopping cart swinging her legs, and I was like, I know her legs hurting that shopping cart. Listen, Ed, in 2018 R&B, that would be a headline that would get you good attention (laughs) and publicity. So (laughs) Her in the shopping cart would be a meme all over the place. A meme. It would be a headline, Mila swinging her legs in a shopping cart, potentially injured or mentally brain dead or something. (laughs) But that's where we're at, Ed. But without further ado, we're going to get into our guest for this podcast. Welcome back to So Back, guys. Like I said, another week, another special guest. And Tom, we have a very special guest in the building today. Who do we have? Man, we're really excited to have Mila from 702 today joining us, someone I've had a chance to meet a bunch of times out here in New York and interview. Um, Really glad she's back with the group and, you know, back to touring and hopefully new music. But we're really excited to have her join us and share some of her music and what she's got going on. So welcome, Mila. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Absolutely. And just want to kick it off by, by asking, I mean, a few podcasts ago, you know, we always love to talk about R&B music and R&B history. And we were talking about 702. This must have been a few months ago. And we were saying that, you know, we always have been following what you were up to, but we really hadn't heard from the other two members of the group in all the years since you guys kind of disbanded. So I guess how did you, you know, where did you, you know, link up with them again? What had they been up to? Oh, wow. Um, so we hadn't spoken since like 2000. Sheesh, I don't think we had even like seen or spoken to each other since it's like 2008, 2009. And, um, you know, I just kind of felt like way too much time had gone by. And, you know, I, we're from Vegas and Vegas is a pretty small town. So we all kind of know each other. So we have so many mutual friends. And, you know, I was just like here little bits and pieces about what they were doing, how they were doing, what they were up to. And I'm just like, you know, let me reach out to them for myself and, you know, say hi and just, just kind of catch up. So I did just that. I flew to Vegas in 2016, um, November 2016, just to literally do a turnaround to see their faces, hug their necks, and go back home to Atlanta, which I call home now. And it's just it's crazy because we hadn't seen each other in so long, but, I, like, we picked up where we left off, and it felt so genuine. It was so good just to, like, you know, have some female time, you know what I mean? We just sat there and just caught up. Like, they're mommies now, I'm, mommies, I'm a mommy now, and, you know, everybody's just kind of moved on and grown up and matured. So they've just been working. Um, Misha has been working on her job in Las Vegas for over, you know, 11, 12-plus years, almost 13 years now. And, you know, they're both just working and raising their families and children, married with kids, and just really, you know, living life. And so I'm just excited that, Although our paths took different, you know, turns and directions, we've been able to 
come back together at least just to, for nothing else, you know, just kind of catch up and be like, hey, we've got a common ground. We're moms and we're human and, you know, we can honestly say there was a sisterhood there. Right. Awesome. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's super cool because, like, you know, you guys got a chance to reconnect, but now we're talking about touring. We're talking about music. Like, how did that aspect of it all come together? Who who brought that up in terms of touring? So I, I kind of like, like I said, I reached out to the girls, and when I reached out to them, it was for no business reasons at all. Like, I kind of just wanted to make sure every, everybody was good. You know, unfortunately, they lost their sister um, to an untimely death in 2008. I actually twin and both of their sister, you know, and I just felt like life was just too short, you know. So I'm just like, if nothing else, let me just say, hey, and when we saw each other, we didn't even really touch on business like that because that wasn't the tone of the meeting. It was really a meeting to just meet again. <laughs> and it's funny because a year later, who would have known that exactly a year later, I think I went out there in November of 2016, so November of 2017, we were on the red carpet in Vegas um, just showing ourselves and doing our first appearance in over 15 years at the Soul Train Awards. And I think from that spawned conversations about, you know, unsung and doing um, shows together, you know, performing together. Like, of course, once we were seen in public together, a lot of opportunities came our way. Um, I kind of spearheaded everything with um, uh, our now 702 management, Corey Taylor, who managed SWV at one time. You know, he's always a fan, and I worked with him in the past, and he just, it's like a girl group, you know, um, gosh, fanatic. And he's just like, I really love you guys. And he's always been in 702's corner as long as I've known him like, for years. He's always wanted like a 702 reunion skirt, like the fans. <laughs> and it's just funny because timing is everything. And I was just kind of like, oh, my God, Corey, who knows? I don't know. Like, don't ask me anymore. But he kept pushing it. And, you know, life just happened. And once we did the carpet for Soul Train, which he kind of, you know, orchestrated and kind of helped facilitate, things just started coming out of the water. Like, You know, we, we always talk about 702's history because we liked all three of the of your guys' albums, No Doubt, 702, and Star. And in oh, fact, your guys' last album, you. Star, we were, we were just talking about Star um, a few weeks ago and how underappreciated it was and how, how strong mm-hmm. some of the singles were. Um, and it, it got us to thinking, like, you know, how you guys even ended up not working together anymore because you were making such solid music. We almost wondered if the label kind of caused things to go south. So can you just touch on how it all broke down, I guess, at that point? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, it was a conglomerate of things, I think. Um, it, well, it's funny because, you know, our unsung actually uh, premieres this Sunday night on TV One. And you're going to see, you'll get a glimpse of the story. Of course, you can never get the full story in that short amount of time, but if I had an answer um, in what I think happened, um, I mean, there was just, it became very tumultuous just amongst us as a whole and, you know, just us as a unit just kind of fell apart after the second album. But to answer your question about the third album, which just got, like, no promotion and no love, <laughs> um, it was a lot of what we just are, are just now learning, there were a lot of politics involved uh, with Motown and 
unfortunately, our management at the time, uh, we had separate management by the third album, and there were just so many egos flying between the, the double management, the double, you know, the separate management, um, along with the, um, you know, Motown and, and, and the powers that be at Motown, you know, the president of Motown. You got, like, three strong men that are just, like, going back and forth, I'm sure, just, you know, sharing what they think their vision is for 702 and their wants and desires and needs for us as a group. And ay, 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 I think it just kind of got so bad between the management team and uh, the president at the time of Motown that it just it blew up and it kind of, like, worked against us and not in our favor to where, you know, Motown was like, okay, this is too much. We're about to just shelve the girls because y'all are not getting along. I'm not getting along with y'all. And because of that, yeah, they just kind of put the album out and that's it. Like nothing else wow. after that first single was released after the star video just dropped it, just kind of shelved it, if you will. And over, I always like to say it was over before it even started. Like mm. such a great body of work. Mm. Got to work with some amazing producers. I mean, one of my favorite songs of 702 um, catalog is I Still Love You. <laughs> and, you know, featuring for real. And it wasn't even a single, but that, that song made so much noise on its own just because it was such a powerful song. And, um, you know, Motown kind of went back and forth. We're like, should this be the first single? And we sent it to radio, tried to test it out. And, of course, everyone loved I Still Love You, but we had already done the treatment, video treatment and everything for Star, and it had already kind of been, you know, put out in media that that was going to be the first single, so they just decided to leave it as such. But because of the turmoil between the label and the management, just didn't move forward. Wow. And then we had our own internal wow. issues, so it was just over. Because <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Mila, I'm, I got to say, like, I'm still upset to this day that uh, Star was chosen as the lead single over I Still Love You. I actually tweeted about it not too long uh, ago. And it's just like, I tell these, it's such a powerful mm. record, like you mentioned. How do you think that album would have turned out if that was actually chosen as the first single? Like, what happened there? Why wasn't it? Oh, my it? gosh. It would have been totally different. It would have totally been way different. I, I strongly believe that. I mean, we had so many issues, like I said, internally that I don't know that it could have saved us, you know, from the things that we had experienced prior, you know, years prior in building up to that. But I do feel like there could have been a, a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, you know. Um, the reason it didn't happen was, you know, what I just said. I think, that, well, beyond the management and the, and the label, we had, we had kind of exceeded our budget. Everything at this point was just political. You know, I think we've kind of run out of the fund. Motown had spent all of our, all of the funding was gone. You know, we spent the budget, you know, um, with with the Pharrells and the, you know, A-list producers. And they just weren't willing to spend any more money. And since they'd already put, I guess, the energy and time and money into Star, um, which I don't understand because, I mean, we hadn't even done the video. We could have just swapped it out. But I guess I didn't feel like spending any more money. <laughs> and creating a new treatment and whatever the process would have been. So they just kind of let it go, you know. And, um, yeah, it was just, like, over before it even started. So, I, I, like, I really don't know the real answers. You never really know as the artist. As the artist, unfortunately, we kind of get the information secondhandedly, and it's just like, you know, shut up and sing. <laughs> so, wow. you know, yeah. It sucks, but you know what? Thankfully, the song was so dope that to this day, like, people still request that record. I, from what I was told, it was, like, one of the biggest songs of, what, 20, when did, uh, when did it come out? Just 
2003, like of the top songs of 2002 or 2003 in Detroit. Um, I now live in Atlanta, and before I moved here, I was told it was one of the most played records in the strip club. Like, I mean, it's weird. It's crazy. (laughs) You know, and it's like, and and I'm like, what? Like, it wasn't even an official single, you know? It wasn't even, like, officially released as a single. So that's what lets you know, like, that that thing was massive. Like, it had legs on its own. So imagine if you would have had the machine behind it, you know? We've even seen Kanye mention that in an interview that that's one of his mm-hmm. favorite R&B songs of all time. So I'm sure you've seen that. Yes. I was told about that. And um, yeah. I was excited. Like, someone told me that years ago. I think he mentioned it in some magazine. Like, yo, I still love you. It was just, like, such a dope record. Like, Motown just didn't know what to do with those girls. And, like, I saw that in print and, like, cried. Like, <laughs> like I, I met him back then after I'd seen that article, and I was just like, oh, my God, like, thank you so much, you know, coming from Kanye back then, you know, and he was just like the GOAT. It was just, like, humbling and just, it was such an honor to know that somebody of his, you know, musical genius even, uh, God, acknowledged that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Mila, I want to take it back to your debut with 702. I mean, that album from top to bottom, it just flowed effortlessly. Like, and we'll get into the album um, in a bit, but I want to talk about the record that Donnell Jones wrote for you guys, Get It Together, because mm-hmm. Donnell has such yes. a distinctive sound, but you took that record and you made it your own. You know, he made it my own, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I like to pride myself in feeling like I make every record that I do my own because... You know, I, I I don't know. I just, when I, I'm given a record, whether I write it or co-write it or um, and just, you know, demo it or what have you, I do try my best to just do Mila, you know. That's all I know how to do. But with Donnell, yikes, like, he made it so difficult. And that is the most simplistic, super, like, basic, so not basic in a negative or bad way, but, like, you know, it's, it's it's pretty and it's 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 melodic yet simple. But Donnell, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I laugh about it now because back then it was torture. We we took like I took three days to record that record. Wow. And mm. it's funny because it's like I you know I I used like I used to be like super super duper fast in the studio like you know one take Wanda and now I'm recording this song at 17 years old. You know, this super simple, dragging, slow, you know, sonically is just so, like, you know, scaled down. And it was the most challenging record that I've recorded to date. Wow. <laughs> but he wow. knew what he was That's doing because it worked. It worked. Whatever his formula was, it worked. He wanted me to sing it exactly the way that he instructed. And... He was very meticulous, and he was very intricate, and he was very anal. And anal. <laughs> it anal. worked. Yeah, wow. man. I mean, for lack of a better <laughs> word, he was, he was so freaking anal about that thing. Like, I mean, I thought I was doing what he wanted. And at 17, I, you know, I already I knew how to sing with soul because naturally I was just, thank God, I was just was God-given. I was born with a gift, but... Being that I've never been through a real breakup, you know, or really experienced true love at 17, 
in relationships. I'm just singing, you know what I mean? So he may have heard that, and he's like, let me help you out, you know. No, I need this. I need conviction. I need it. And I, I, like, I like to think, you know, naturally I, I sang with soul back then, but soul and passion and conviction based on life lessons and experience is totally separate and apart. Like now when I sing Get It Together at 40 versus 17, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's totally different, you know. Um, so I thank Donnell for that experience. And, I mean, he created a smash. It's one of our biggest songs to date. So he knew what he was doing. And if you look at his unsong, he wrote that song based on what he was going through in his marriage at the time. Mm. With with his ch- his children's mother, which is now his ex, he's remarried now. But at the time, you know, he was dealing with a marriage, a separation, and, and you know, trying to figure out his love life. You know, with his, the children of the mother of his children. So he wrote that from his heart. Right. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to stay. Like he was confused, you know. And that was his testimony. But he wrote that for us for me as a lead singer to deliver. And so looking back in hindsight, it's like, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, so. it worked, you know. It took all those daggone days, but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> as we talk about your debut then, um, with 702, like I mentioned, a timeless record, one that you, you can really play from top to bottom. And, like, what's the formula to have an album like that? Because we don't see that in today's industry. There's not a, a lot of albums where you can do that. Was that was there something that you guys had done to make sure that from top to bottom it sounded as good as it did? Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean, looking back on it, we weren't even really – given creative control in terms of writing, um, you know, and being instrumental in being creative uh, outside of our last album, the third album, the star album. So leading up to that, I think we were so young and, you know, didn't really have a lot of life lessons and experiences, but that doesn't mean that we weren't great songwriters. Um, However, the third album, which I believe is the one you're referring to, um, we were able to have a little, we were a little more instrumental you know, in, in in being able to share our stories, you know, melodically and sonically. So I think with any artist, when you're actually able to tell your story yourself, you know, and really give a dictation of, you know, who you are, not only as an artist, but as an individual, like, you're going to have an amazing body of work because it's organic and it's authentic and it's true to who you are, you know? I think the way the industry has changed, we've got a lot of amazing up-and-coming talent. I mean, we see that now through the world that we live in, which is digital, the YouTube and the Instagram, Facebook, you know, all of the talent shows on television. I mean, there are a lot of really good, talented, young songwriters and musicians out there. But the difference is they're independent. They're able to do their music how they want to do it you know, on their scale, under their own rules, their guidelines. It wasn't that way so much for 702 because we were in the machine playing the music business, you know, playing the political game. We were only able to do oh so much. We were limited in how much we could, you know, 
actually carry out as um, songwriters and, you know, say, hey, I want to write this, I want to do that. You know, we were just looked at as this little young girl group that sang and cute and give them some choreography and <laughs> mm-hmm. some good production, and here you go. So, thankfully, we had a great team of, of um, you know, A&Rs and, and, and along the way, and um, outside of the executives that didn't really care, there were a few that did, and they just had amazing ears, you know, and they just kind of knew their stuff. They knew their music, and they knew they knew us individually. There was a lot of times when we had executives that didn't really know us because Motown went through a lot of changes. We had, like, several presidents, several product managers, several artist development teams, several PRs, you know, but there were, and several A&Rs, but there were a select few that had been around since the beginning and just really understood what was needed in the in the game at that time musically and, and, and what was needed not only in the game, but from us because they had been around us and they knew who we were and who we'd become so, at that time. And so I think they, you know, focused on who we were as individuals and who we were as young ladies and put it together. Mm. I'm grateful for that. Right. So let's, uh, let's bring it up it's to the different. current day. It's different now. I don't know if I answered the yeah. question, but it's just different now. Yeah. Now it's totally <laughs> no, no. different. <laughs> no, we got you. What's going on the current day, Mila? You put out your new single um, recently, Now You're Mad, and we know you're working on the solo album for at least later this year. You know, you've been at this solo thing for some time now, for some years. you put out singles over the years. What makes this the time where you're really ready to give us the solo album? So over the years, I've always just been, like, testing the waters, um, simply because, honestly, once I became a mommy, which is the most important thing, my son is nine now. He's an old man now. He's like 50. So now mm-hmm. I can actually, <laughs> you know, now I can actually make the time to really go in and give y'all a whole body of work because when I was putting out the singles, it was always just like testing the waters, experimenting, experimenting with my sound, still learning who I am as a as a solo artist, as a woman, as an individual. Now I'm a mommy. I've been through ups and downs in life, ups and downs in my career, ups and downs in my relationships. So now it's like, yo, if I really finally got some real ish to talk about, I'm writing my own stuff, I'm co-writing with other producers, you know, I'm finding my ex, for crying out loud, like, I'm finding my baby daddy, like, come on, I got mm-hmm. some shit to write about. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so it's like, I have a child with me, it's a soul child, we're not together anymore, we live together eight years, and now you're signed to him. It's like, yo, <laughs> and we both kind of moved on, mm-hmm. we're still finally amicable and business partners and able to raise our son and still work together. I mean, we've got a show this weekend in freaking um, BR, you know, yeah. where I'm opening up for him. And it's like, you know, we're, I'm hustling. And it's like it's about Zachariah at the end of the day. So timing is everything. It's like now I look back and I'm not so emotional about stuff. And, you know, he, and he realizes, you know, yo, she's dope. She deserves a chance. He's always been an advocate of me doing the project. He's always been you know, in my corner. He's always been a fan since day one, and I'm just grateful that we could put the bull crap aside and utilize the platform that, you know, he's given me. So I'm excited about that, you know. We're making music together, and even if it's not no duet, it's like, hey, we could still write together, whether it's for us or other people or whatever, and just keep forward, move forward. So 
I think timing is impeccable. It's God's timing. And, like, for whatever reason, now it's time to give a whole body of work because it's just, like, the fans, first of all, are, like, cursing me out because I keep dangling these singles. And it's like, mm-hmm. girl, we're tired of these singles. Where's the album? <laughs> right. So, mm-hmm. so, I'm like, so, I'm like, okay, y'all, I was just testing y'all. Okay, I was just seeing if y'all still there. But, like, <laughs> but I'm ready right. now. But, like, you know, I, 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 once again, I put it on hold. Um, but I wanted to, it's my choice. I put it on hold this time because I'm going to, you know, it's, it's, um, we're not on tour yet, but we are on the road doing spot dates. We've done three dates so far. And so now that the whole 702 thing has kind of come back into my world, I've had to kind of like put my studio, um, studio schedule on pause, but I will be releasing an album 2018 saying it, it's, it's the death of me, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mila, I'm yes. glad you brought up uh, being a mom because a lot of uh, fans don't realize the demands of being a mother and also, the, you know, balancing the demands of being in the music industry and really what that takes. So from your point of view, what has that taken to raise a child while also trying to meet the demands of fans in the music industry over the mm-hmm. years? It takes a whole bottle of wine every day. But... <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. No, no, I'm really not. Actually, no. Um, it takes a lot. It's tough, man. Um, you know, my son is also special needs. Like he's he's on the spectrum. He he has autism, and so that in itself is like a whole nother dynamic. You know, to trying to balance being in this industry, being a solo artist, being a you know in a girl band that's now resurging and doing a whole reunion thing, and um, being a independent at when I was independent, but I'm like, not, well, hell, I still, I'm still independent, you know, though I'm, we're, we have distributions from E1, but it's still independent, you know what I mean? Like, it's a hustle constantly, so the balance is real, and I think that's what I've learned. It has to be just that, a balance. I have to have time for my son, A, to make sure he's good. That's first, that's priority, but I also have to make sure I have time for me. Because if I don't, then I'm going to be a wacky, crazy, nutty mom. And I'm already wacky, crazy, and nutty by myself. So we need to make sure mom is happy. So I want to make sure, you know, that I get my creative juices out. Like, I try to be a stay-at-home mom for a minute in the beginning when music and I were together. And he's just like, yeah, no, you're killing me. This ain't going to work. I'm like, you're right. Because he knows I'm a creative. Like, that's how he met me. And, you know, that's who I am. And that's okay. You know what I mean? And so I think that it's important to make sure that you do whatever it is you want to do and be the best mom you could be and not feel guilty about making sure that you're the best you you could be and tap into whatever that is that, you know, gets your creative juices flowing, not just for a hobby, but, like, you know, also, of course, is a livelihood where you can, you know, maintain and support, you know, your family. But I I had to do it. I mean, I try to walk away from music and do other things, but I just kept coming back to dev on music, and the fans wouldn't let me either. So I'm like, oh, okay, let me give these people what they want. <laughs> um, I promise you, we ask this question on every single podcast. It's going to sound a little funny to you, but no, every single okay, <laughs> we, we we ask this, and I'll explain why. We ask this to every guest we have. It's kind of a thing we have because. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Music Soul Child, and our other host who's not on here right now, Ed, he's a big fan of Keith Sweat. So we always ask okay. everyone, if you could choose 
He's Sweat, our music soul child. Who are you going to choose? That is and that's so why I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I, really? like I, said, I promise you, really? we ask every we asked every single guest so far over ten. So that is hilarious. <laughs> and the results oh, are hilarious. So. Are you serious? That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna knock y'all out. This is so shady. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, listen, I grew up in the '90s. I'm a seven, a late '70s baby, so of course I grew up on he sweat. However, <laughs> I'm also a fan of Soul Child, and look, I'm a fan of Soul Child, a fan of Soul Child, I'm a fan of he sweat. But I got a baby by Soul Child, so it's like I'm gonna have to say Soul Child because I mean we gotta keep eating over here, so I'm gonna say Soul <laughs> like y'all already knew no but like yo that's a hard one like I, come on Keith Sweat was like junior high high school are you kidding me <laughs> love him and we and having a suit we were on tour oh really that's pretty cool wow but we opened up for New Edition and he was like a part of that tour 702 Black Street Keith Sweat New Edition wow that's pretty cool wow. yeah yeah like 17 <laughs> wow, I was wow. so confused. <laughs> now, now, Mila, talking about high school, I know like Neil's from your area as well in Vegas. Did you guys end up growing yeah. up together? Like, do you have any Neil, Neil stories? Um, you know what? We went to a performing arts high school together. I don't know him as Neil. I don't know him as Schaefer or <laughs> look. I know him as Schaefer. I know his sisters Nicole, and they've always been so super sweet. The interesting story that I have about Neo or Shamir, as we called him, um, nobody knew he was musically talented. Nobody knew he was a singer. Nobody knew he was a great songwriter. We're like, really, dude? Like, we went to performing arts high school. Your sister is in music with us, and your major is art. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that's funny to me because I'm like, uh, now you're like one of the biggest stars in the world. Okay, great. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> but he's so cool like I always it's funny because I would run into him when I used to live in LA and I would look at him like what are you doing out here and he's like oh I'm just working with this producer not knowing how sick of a songwriter he was and I'm mm-hmm. just like oh okay well good to see you and I see him all the time now you know in um, Atlanta and LA we run into each other he's just always super cool I just saw him at the Grammys this year when I went um Music and I went this year uh, in New York on the Grammy carpet. It's always love. It's always you know because we're from Vegas. We don't see a lot of that. It's like ain't nobody else from Vegas but me, Lamisha Irish, and Neil and Tina, Lutina Wesley, the actress from Queen Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We we all went to the same performing arts high school actually. That's cool. Wow. And yeah. then. Just last, last question for you, and then we'll let you go for real. But we ask every artist this, too, who, who we have joined us on this podcast, another interesting question. But uh, when you were touring as part of 702 or even touring with 702 now, is there anything unique you have on your tour writer, uh, writer that might be out of the ordinary? You know, we're new um, to this right now. Like, we ain't got no tour, no writer yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to get to that. <laughs> Because um, yeah. okay. back in the day, it's so funny. Like, things are so different now. Lord bless our little hearts. We were so green. I don't even know that we knew what a writer was and or <laughs> the questions. 
But one thing that we did do, which was which was sort of a ritual or a, it's so funny, we talked about this earlier today, we had an interview, we talked about um, things we did before a show, which is kind of like our own little tradition. We always made sure that we had a sip of Coca-Cola before we went on stage because for whatever reason, we made ourselves believe if one of us had to pee or if one of us drank Coca-Cola, it was going to be a good show. So Coca-Cola has to be. <laughs> and as for Mila's rider, today as an adult, like, oh, my gosh, like, I have to have, I need, like, God, I have I have a, a bunch of stuff, but it's not, it's not, like, on no diva stuff. But I'm just very, like, germaphobic. So I want, like, either, I'm a mommy, so I want, like, hand sanitizer or, like, wet wipes, you know, because, I just need to wipe my hands at all times because I want to wipe down the silverware. I want to wipe down the chairs. Of the <laughs> nice. Mm. <laughs> I know. I'm a little OCD, but not really. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not like, I don't need blue Skittles and red Skittles and M&Ms and all that. Yeah. I it. <laughs> no. But I do need my hummus. <laughs> cool. That's definitely unique. <laughs> right. I need my hummus. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mila. So, we thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We're really thank looking you. forward to hearing the new music. And uh, glad you're back together with 702. Like I said, that's an exciting thing for R&B as well. So uh, definitely thank always here so to much. support you. We always appreciate the love you show us and uh, just going to keep, you know, going all out for you and supporting you. Thank you. Please, you guys, just make sure, you know, you stream, download, whatever. Um, now You're Mad and Desert Love. I have those two songs out right now, Desert Love and Now You're Mad. So thank you in advance to everybody. And there you had it, Tom. We just finished talking to Mila from 702. That was dope. That was pretty cool. She shared some great history. And uh, she's always so super cool. I always see her out here in New York when she's doing promo and stuff. So she's always been cool. And uh, like I said, looking forward to the new music. I'm sure some of the listeners are wondering why I'm in the podcast now, but Ed was in it earlier. Um, Ed had an emergency. He uh, lost all of his uh, Sour Patch kids. So he had to go to the store to get some new ones. So he called me and I filled in for him. So if everyone's if anyone's wondering why I'm here, not Ed, that's the real answer. And why are you here? You went to the Lauren Hill concert, but it got canceled. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna be back pretty quickly with another uh, podcast episode. But Tom, what's going on with you? Know I got sold dot com. Not a lot right now. It's been pretty slow, like we've been talking about. Not much is coming out for R and B. So. Hopefully it picks up now that summer's here. I'm not convinced it will, but we got to hold out hope. Right now we're just doing the best we can, posting some of the new music coming out to keep everyone informed. Uh, but really, other than that, not much. Absolutely, yeah. There's not much going on for me either. I think things are going to pick up relatively soon, but we'll be back next week with some more great content. Um, and, yeah, this is it. This is Kyle, that's Tom, and we will be back soon. Peace. <laughs> Peace.